So did you go out and see what was happening on December 21st? Did you look at that up into that December dark night sky and watch the convergence of Saturn and Jupiter as they were happening? I, uh, I had a friend who, who kept sending me the news articles of this as it got closer and closer, and he would do what I, I suppose you could only call uh, geeking out over this whole thing. Right, because every night he would, or almost every night, I should say, he would go out when you could start to see this happening. He would go out and he would look up into the sky and watch as these planets grew closer and closer and closer until on December 21st, these two planets converged to within about a degree of each other. Now, I did the same thing. Not, I didn't geek out like he did, but I did go out on that dark December night on the 21st, and I went up and I looked at what the news uh, outlets were calling the Christmas star. Do you know how I felt when I saw it? I was kind of underwhelmed, if I'm being honest. I was just kind of underwhelmed because I look up and you see these two things that are, are really tiny, at least by the human eye perspective, really tiny and they're really close to each other. But I just kind of shrugged my shoulders like, all right, that's really cool that that happened. But I was more concerned with going in to watch and finish the episode of The Office because they were taking, taking it off of Netflix on December 31st. Right? I just was largely underwhelmed with this whole thing. And I don't know if this is how you guys felt too when you looked at it, or even if you did go and see it. I mean, the reality of all of this is, unless somebody told you that that was happening, there's a good chance you just would have never known at all. Unless somebody told you that what was happening that night had such significance because it had not happened in that way since the Middle Ages, you wouldn't have even noticed. Unless somebody told you that whole night would have passed by with, with a, without a notice at all. I mean, because the reality is most of us don't spend a whole lot of time looking up at the stars and studying this, the night sky because we're more concerned about searching the light source in our palms than we are studying for unique or looking for unique events that are happening in the sky. Unless somebody told you that what was happening on that late December night was of such significance and importance and so unique, None of us would ever have known that it happened. But unlike us, those men that we're going to talk about today from Matthew chapter 2, they would have never missed it. They would have been out there every night like my friend who geeked out, watching as these planets grew closer and closer. They would have stood out underneath those dark night skies and watched as these two planets converged in a once-every-couple-centuries event because this is what these men did. They spent their lives and they made their livelihoods by studying the stars. These men were known as magi. And depending on who you read and what you ask, or what you, what you read and who you ask, sorry, I got that backwards, uh, they were somewhere between either astrologers or astronomers. These were the kind of guys that courts and kings would employ to, to interpret dreams. These were the guys that kings would call in the night before a battle and tell them, go out and, and search for a sign so that we can know if this is a great day for us to go into battle or if we need to wait a few days because we aren't going to be successful if you don't see the sign. Right? These were guys who made their livings looking up at and studying the stars. And by their contemporaries, they were considered to be men who were full of wisdom, at least wisdom as, that was concerning the way the natural world worked and the way that the stars in the sky worked. And so it shouldn't surprise us at all with these, that these men saw what they did that night. That night, as they were carrying out their job, making their livelihoods, looking up in the sky, they stared at this spot in the sky that was dark and had been dark for centuries. But it's there that they saw it. They saw this star that appeared that defied their collective wisdom 
of what they knew of the stars because every celestial body that they watched, it all moved in a pattern and a rhythm, but not this star. This star behaved differently and it shone brighter. And when they saw that star, they had an epiphany. When they saw that star, they remembered what was either a legend or a myth or a prophecy. Now, we're not entirely sure where they would have gotten this prophecy from, but personally, personally, I believe that these magi from the east came from a place called Babylon. And remember who Babylon was and what Babylon did. Prior to the rise of the Persian Empire, the Babylonians were the world power at the time. And between 605 and 586 BC, the Babylonians came and laid siege to the southern kingdom of God's people, the kingdom of Judah. And they also laid siege to Jerusalem. And in 586, they completely destroyed Jerusalem and the temple therein. And when they did that, they carried off the brightest and the best of the Jews, including a man named Daniel. And when Daniel arrived in Babylonia, he was given a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. But by the grace of God, Daniel, or Belteshazzar, rose through the ranks of the Babylonian courts until he was eventually placed in charge of this ancient order known as the Magi. And as the, the ruler over this class of Magi, he would have no doubt shared his faith with them. I mean, when you read through the book of Daniel, we have the, the privilege of doing that now, but when you read through the book of, uh, of Daniel, you, you can't help but see that this was a man who was not scared to live out and to share his faith. I mean, this is the guy who was thrown into the lion's den for, de for defying the decree of the king, which said, you cannot worship God or any other God but me for 30 days. In charge of this ancient order of the Magi, Daniel would have shared a prophecy like the one from Isaiah chapter 60, that, that nations will stream to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Or he would have shared the prophecy like we heard about from Numbers chapter 24 this morning, that a star will rise from Jacob. But after a while, Daniel died, and century after century, year after year passed, and what started out as this prophecy eventually transformed into a legend and eventually descended into myth. And for all these years, that myth lay fallow in that ancient order until those magi looked up into that spot in the sky that should have been dark, and they saw that star. And when they saw that star, they remembered that prophecy, and that prophecy could only mean one thing, that a new king had been born of the Jews. So they began their search for him. Unfortunately for us, there is a whole lot of disinformation that exists about these men known as the Magi, and we have been subjected to it for centuries. Throughout the centuries, they've been known by many different titles. In the Middle Ages, these Magi were called what? called kings, hence the carol, We Three Kings of Orient Are. But nowhere in scripture do, does it tell us that they were kings. In fact, the only reason that people thought they were royalty, I mean, even, even this thing, this banner has it wrong, right? They're adorned with crowns on their head. You never get that picture in scripture because the only reason that they thought they were kings was because of the lavishness of the gifts that they brought, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And actually those gifts, they lead us to another piece of disinformation that we have been subjected to, which is the number of magi. Traditionally, the number of magi is said to have been three because of the number of gifts that were given, but scripture never tells us. There could have been three, there could have been 13, and quite frankly, it doesn't really matter. Another piece of disinformation that we've been subjected to actually comes from the, the nativity scenes that we all love to set up at Christmas time. Maybe you have them under your tree or on a mantle, or sometimes churches even set them up like in front of the altar or in front of where the Christmas tree would be. I gotta tell you, those, those manger scenes, they're all wrong. 
Because those manger scenes, they all depict those magi being there right next to the shepherds in Bethlehem, near the manger where baby Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Right? But that's not what scripture says. In fact, this account from Matthew chapter 2 happens about a year and a half or two years later. But perhaps the worst part or the worst piece of disinformation about these magi is the title that we so commonly call them. Wise men. I mean, these men, by worldly standards, they were incredibly wise. They had all sorts of distinct intellectual ability and knowledge about the way that the natural world worked, about the way that the stars worked. But when it came to spiritual knowledge, when it came to knowledge about who God is, about how God feels about you, about what God has done for them, these men, they were fundamentally ignorant. And in fact, when you go through with me and search through Master, or Matthew chapter 2 for wise men, you actually might be shocked at how few wise men you actually find. I mean, like I said, these magi, they were wise men, considered both by their contemporaries and historians to be men who were wise. But they were fundamentally ignorant when it came to spiritual things. I mean, the only reason that these magi knew to go and search for a newborn king was because they had the prophecy. The only reason that they knew to go and search for a newborn king was because that star had appeared and they connected it to that prophecy. But when it, when it came to the rest of the details, they had no clue. And so they had to use worldly wisdom and worldly logic to figure out where they're going to go and search for a newborn king of the Jews. And the place that they go, it makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to go search for a newborn king of the Jews, the place where you are going to start, at least start your searches in Jerusalem, the ancient city of Israelite kings, the seat of power for men like Dan, or for men like uh, David and Solomon. And so these men go out and they eventually arrive in Jerusalem and they're confronted by the man who is currently the king of the Jews, a man named Herod. And it's to this man that they ask their question. Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now in his own right, Herod, Herod the man that historians call great, he was very wise. He was a masterful planner and builder. He was wealthy. He was politically savvy. He was cunning. He brought Jerusalem into, uh, into a height of prosperity and power that hadn't been seen since the days of King Solomon. He was a man who thought he had a pulse on the people over which he was ruling, but Herod also had a very dark side. Many people today would say that Herod was insane or absolutely mad because he really just cared about one thing. He cared about his title. He cared about power, and in trying to keep that power, we talked about this last or a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the slaughter of the holy innocents. Herod killed almost all of his family to hold on to that power. In fact, Caesar Augustus, the famous emperor of Rome, the guy who put Herod in power, you remember what, Herod, or what Caesar said about him? That I would rather be Herod's pig than his child. This shows how crazy that man was, and this is the guy. This is the guy that these supposed magi or these wise men go to and ask their question, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? They ask a madman who loves power, where's the new king? Right? That seems like kind of a dumb mistake. Now Herod, he had no idea what these magi were talking about. And he was completely disturbed in all Jerusalem along with him when they asked him this question. And Jerusalem was disturbed because they feared that this question was going to send Herod on this tyrannical power spree it was going to result in the deaths of many, which eventually it did, right? In the slaughter of these holy innocents. 
Now, for all of the wisdom that Herod had, he had no clue what they were talking about. And if you go searching for a wise man in Matthew chapter 2 and you look, look at Herod, he is anything but wise. You won't find a wise man in Herod, but you will find a man who had enough common sense to ask the right people the right questions. Even though he has no idea what is going on, he calls in his court theologians, because if there is going to be anybody who understands where this Messiah is supposed to be, where this king of the Jews is supposed to be, it's going to be the chief priests and the teachers of the law, these religious leaders. And to these men, Herod asks, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? The same question the Magi asked. And Herod was right. These men did know. These men say, in Bethlehem, in Judea. For this is what is written in the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come one who will be ruler and shepherd my people Israel. Turns out, turns out that this newborn king wasn't born in Jerusalem at all, but in a city five miles outside of Jerusalem, Bethlehem. And these chief priests and teachers of the law, they were guys who knew all about the Messiah. I mean, these were men who had devoted their entire lives to studying and applying and interpreting the scriptures of God. These were men who spent their lives pointing people forward to the day when God would make good on his promise to bring a savior into the world to save them from their sins. And not only did they know all about the Messiah, but they even knew where this Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. But if you go searching for wise men in Matthew chapter 2 and you try to find one in these chief priests and the teachers of the law, you won't find one at all. Because where were these men? Where were these men who were armed with all of that knowledge of the Messiah and the exact location where he was? Well, they were in Herod's court answering questions. They weren't rushing out to find the newborn king of the Jews. See, these chief priests and teachers of the law, they had a whole lot of knowledge up here. They just had no wisdom here. These men were armed with all of the knowledge they needed. They just had none of the wisdom to actually use it. After receiving an answer from the chief priests and teachers of the law, Herod secretly calls in the Magi and he sends them on what basically amounts to a fact-finding mission. Right? He says, go and make a careful search for the child and when you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. And these magi, for a while, they listen. Right? They walk out of Herod's court and they, they start their five-mile journey to Bethlehem and they look up into that spot in the sky that should have been dark. And do you know what they find? The star that led them to Palestine in the first place. And so they head to Bethlehem and that star stops over the house where the child was. And they go inside that house and they find Jesus with his mother and they bow down and they worship him. And they open up their treasures and give him gifts of gold and frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream by God not to return to Herod, they go back to their country by another route. We've come to the end of this account from Matthew chapter 2, and we've been searching for wise men, but exactly how many wise men have we found? None. We found absolutely none. You can't find them in those magi from the east. You can't find them in wicked, tyrannical Herod. You can't find them in those chief priests and teachers of the law. And here's why. Because sinful human beings, on their own, will never be able to find out who God truly is. Sinful human beings can never find out how God actually feels about them. On their own, sinful human beings cannot find, no matter how worldly or how wise they are according to worldly standards, they cannot find on their own what God has actually done for them. Because all of these truths about God, and who he is, and how he feels about you, it has to be revealed. 
It has to be at the one place where God reveals to you all of these things. The only place actually where he promises to do it is in his word. Here's a fundamental truth that is vital for you and me to understand as Christians. That God doesn't search through this world and look for wise men and elevate them to to positions of status and prominence. Instead, God searches throughout this world and he identifies the lowly and the oppressed and the downtrodden and the foolish and the ignorant. And God makes them wise. So you can search through Matthew chapter 2 and try to find wise men. But instead, maybe we should search through Matthew chapter 2 and find the people that God made wise. And when you use this as your lens to search for wise men, do you know what you find? You actually find one group of men that God made wise. You find these magi. These magi, I suppose you can actually call them wise men, even though that title is a little misleading. You can actually call them wise men because God made them wise. They didn't use all of their vast worldly knowledge at their disposal to find this newborn king of the Jews, because if they had, they wouldn't have actually ever found him. Instead, when they used their worldly knowledge, they ended up in Jerusalem and talking to the wrong king. These men weren't wise on their own and said God made them wise. God made them wise by what he revealed. These men, they exemplify what it means to have true spiritual wisdom, don't they? They exemplify what a truly spiritually wise person is. It's a person who simply stops and listens to what God has revealed and believes it. There's something else that's incredibly special about these magi that we haven't talked about yet. And it all has to do with their descendants or how they were born. These men were Gentiles. They were men born outside of the covenant promises of God that he gave to Israel. These men were not descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And no matter how important they were in their home country of Babylon, they were a common people with a common problem. They were sinners, just like you and me. And that's what makes this account of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 so incredible, because it reveals to us a beautiful truth about Jesus. That this newborn king in Bethlehem came into this world to save more than just Israel. He came to be the one savior for the entire world. He came to be the king to save Israel. You and me, and this truth about a king born to save you and me, it cannot be found anywhere in the world. It cannot be found by by watching a convergence of planets in the sky. It cannot be found by trying to secretly pry wisdom out of people like Herod tried to do. It has to be revealed to you. And this is exactly what God did for these magi. He revealed it to them first through that prophecy that was handed down through their order from that Old Testament prophet Daniel. Then he revealed it to them by that star that led them first to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. And then he revealed it to them in that toddler that they bowed down and worshiped. That toddler who would grow up to be their savior, to die on the cross for all of their sins. You see, God made those magi wise. He took all of the facts that they had up here and he used them to create faith right here. He planted deep in their hearts true spiritual wisdom. And no matter what title they rode into Jerusalem with, they walked out of that country truly spiritually wise. They walked out of that country with faith written on their hearts, a faith that trusted in Jesus alone as their Savior. And what God did for those magi, making them spiritually wise, God has done for each and every one of you. He has revealed to you the treasures of his word, the treasures of who he is, and what he has done for you, and how he feels about you, and what he wants from you. He has opened up the treasures of his word and planted deep in your hearts a faith that 
that trust in him above all things. He has planted deep in your heart true spiritual wisdom that seeks out forgiveness and a right standing before God and eternal life forever. You know, as I go on a search for spiritually wise men and women, I don't have to search very far this morning because I am looking at a group of men and women that God has made spiritually wise. A group of men and women to whom God has revealed the truths of Scripture. A group of men and women who simply stop and listen to what God has revealed and believes it. That's what it means to be spiritually wise. God grant you that kind of spiritual wisdom all your days. Amen.